Turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is uh, the passage that we studied in some detail this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And let's read that to begin our lesson this evening. We talked about the pattern of proactive giving from this passage, these two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And we made the point that there are four ideas that are pretty uh, clear when we look at that from the text. That this was proactive, that it was for those in the churches that it was collected on Sunday, not something that was just stored up at home, and that it occurred every first day of the week. And I wouldn't be dogmatic in saying everyone has to give every Sunday. There may be times when you're not prospered, um, when you don't have the ability to give, or a local group of elders might determine as they're overseers of the Lord's money that there is no need to give for a while. But if we give... This is the pattern that we have uh, in the New Testament. And so Paul writes this first letter to Corinth saying, Give, lay by in store so that you might have something to send to the needy brethren who are in Jerusalem. And a year year passes. And Paul addresses this collection again in 2 Corinthians. And if you want to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we will focus this evening on part 2 from 2 Corinthians Uh, Chapters 8 and 9, because those chapters are all about giving too. Only this time, the emphasis is on the giver and his or her heart, not on the mechanism by which we give. Not not the pattern for how we go about giving, uh, but answering a number of other questions about our giving. Um, Let's let's read beginning in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, uh, the service that you're rendering to the saints in your funds, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. So he talked to the Galatian brethren, like we talked about this morning, he talked about the talked to the brethren in Achaia, which is where Corinth was, and now he's talking to those in Macedonia where Philippi was, and he says, look, those in Corinth, they've already said that they are willing to give. Verse 3, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not a grudging obligation. So I've given you this pattern for giving so that you might be ready to give your gift Now I'm sending some people ahead just to make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And what we see surrounding these five verses in chapter 8 and 9 is the why. Why should you be willing to give at all? 
And I'll admit, whenever I, I preach on a concept that we find in the New Testament, I like to start with the why. What's our motivation? What's, what's the heart that we need to have behind us that, that leads us into giving the right kind of action, whatever that action might be? And yet, what's the order that Paul did these things in? 1 Corinthians talks about the how, this is what you need to be doing, and it's in 2 Corinthians that he talks about the why. And I know that there are some of you to my face and behind my back who like to talk about how I think I'm right about everything, and usually I think I'm right about most things, but I would not presume to change the order in which Paul did this. He says, here is how you give, the way you go about giving. And then in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the why, the heart that should be behind this gift. And so we know how we're supposed to give, the pattern that we find in the New Testament. What are some other questions that we need to answer well, I think that we can answer a number of other questions from our text here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, let's ask and answer this question first. To whom are we to give? Uh, read with me, if you would, in chapter 8, beginning in verse uh, 1, where this context starts. We'll hone in on verses 3 and 4, but start in verse 1 with me. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now, just as an aside, this is a sermon on giving, but just as an aside, this is, this is for free. Isn't it kind of neat that he bragged about the church in Corinth to the brethren in Macedonia, and now what is he doing? He's bragging to the church in Corinth about the brethren um, in Macedonia. Uh, Paul liked to talk good about people. He liked to talk good about the brethren. And I think there's certainly a pattern that we can follow in that as well. Uh, verse 3, let's read that again. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. To whom are we to give? I believe that starts with giving ourselves, giving ourselves to God and giving ourselves to each other. He says here that they are to complete their fellowship with the needy Jewish saints in Jerusalem by their giving. They have fellowship of the ministering to the saints. A relationship is there where they are giving to these brethren. But if you think about the, the, the order of that, if I have already given myself to the Lord, if I've given myself totally to God and to His work, and then I've given myself, myself to my brethren, giving monetarily is a very small thing to do. Give you some money? Sure. I've already given you all that I am and all that I have. For example, um, what wouldn't I give to my children. Uh, I would give myself. I would give my life in a very literal way for and to my children. And so if they were in need financially and, 
and they needed truly those things from me, I would give. And I would give beyond my ability, freely willing to give in that way. And so too when it comes to God, it's all His anyway, and to my brethren, if I have first given myself totally over to the Lord and His work, um, here's my money. That's easy, right? Uh, That's a small thing in comparison to giving ourselves to God and to each other. So, to whom are we to give? To God and each other. Why do we give? What What is the motivation for giving to begin with? Well, simply it's God's grace. And that's what these two chapters are all about. They are all about the grace of God. We're going to spend a little bit of time, Lord wills, in this chapter on Wednesday night talking about our response to God's grace But just by preview, as we think about giving specifically, think about it in these terms. Uh, We already read verses 1 through 5. The word grace is found back there in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That word grace is found in verse 4, that they would receive the gift, that is the grace and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Let's keep reading in verse 6 together. So we urge Titus... That as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love, of your charity, by the diligence of others. Uh, Look at yourself and the Macedonians. Are you both willing to give in this way? You ought to be because of God's grace. But he doesn't stop there. Let's drop down to verse 16 together. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. But grace be to God is really what that says. The the word charis is there. Um, If we... uh, Uh, Verse 19 has it as well, but let's drop down to chapter 9 and verse 8. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And maybe most clearly, verses 14 and 15. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, Thanks, grace be to God for his indescribable gift. We give because God has given. By his grace, he has given himself. And we give ourselves in return. You give, I give because of what God has given to us. And we show and give grace to others because it's been given to us. And in so doing, we are giving grace back to God. One of my favorite quotations, um, I've got a, if you've been back in my office, I've got shelves along one wall and I've got more shelves above my desk. All of those commentaries and books, this is one of my favorite quotations written by men about the text. And it's from a, a, a brother by the name of Melvin Curry and he says this, the gift of divine grace is the controlling theme of the collection narrative. If you want to talk about giving, As Paul does in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, you've got to talk about God's grace. Grace is personified in Christ and manifests itself in both the spirit of generosity that we should have and thanksgiving that characterizes the people of God. Because of God's grace, 
What should characterize us? What spirit? Generosity and thanksgiving. God has given everything to us. And because of that, we should be willing to give of ourselves to others. And the most important example of this, if you're following along closely on the screen, you said, whoa, he stopped in verse 8. He didn't read verse 9. Well, that's because I want to come back to this idea of grace being personified in Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 9, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that's an understatement, yet for your sakes he became poor, that's an understatement, that you through his poverty might become rich. Think about that for just a moment. Though he was rich in heaven, he became poor. He came and lived as a man. He poured himself out, right? But not just coming and living as a man, he died the cruel and gruesome and shameful death on a cross for what purpose? So that we might become rich. Our God was made poor so that I could become rich. How can I not be willing to give some of those riches, even physical monetary riches, in the service of God, and to help others. It makes me glad, um, and this is something that we've kind of, you know, jostled around a little bit, changed the tradition some uh, in the aftermath of the pandemic and all of that, but I've, I've always been glad that giving comes right after the Lord's Supper. Um, we, we say separate and apart from the Lord's Supper. It's not part of the Lord's Supper, but I love that tradition. I love the idea of giving of our means right after we've thought about Christ and his sacrifice and what he's done for us. As we think about grace, grace should be the thing that motivates us then to give. Um, I have no attitude problems in regard to what I'm going to give in that context of thinking about Jesus and what he has done for me. Of course I'm going to give. Whatever it is that is needed, I am going to give those things. And it's not lost on me either. In fact, this was uh, our scripture reading that we read before the lesson tonight, that 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2, what comes right before that in the book of 1 Corinthians? I said Paul didn't really talk about the why, but he kind of did in 1 Corinthians, didn't he? Do you remember what's in 1 Corinthians 15? Turn back there if you would. It is a whole chapter that is a discussion of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and looking at the hope that his resurrection gives to us. Um, let's read just a few of these verses. I mean, we would do well to read the whole chapter, uh, but that's not our purpose this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And there were some people in the church in Corinth who were preaching a different gospel, saying that Jesus isn't raised and, and we're not going to be raised either. And Paul addresses that, but then he turns his attention back to the positive nature of Jesus' resurrection. Drop down to verse 50. 
1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this physical body must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, look to the future, and by grace you're going to be raised incorruptible. And all of these physical perishable things are going to be burned up and done away with. And oh, by the way, can you send a little money to some needy saints in Jerusalem? Yeah, of course I can. I see what God has done for me. Uh, about a year ago, Stephanie and I went to a, a dinner for a, an organization called Sacred Selections. Um, and it was a benefit dinner. It was intended where you, you give some money to, to, to aid in people who were adopting. And, and what a noble work that is. And so they gave this presentation. And it wasn't real like, like preachy or like a hard sell or anything like that. They just went and they said, here is what we're doing as an organization. And, and they showed the people they were helping and the, it showed the, the children who are being saved out of bad situations a lot of times so that, that, that they might be put into Christian homes. And after listening to all that, you know what it was like? It was like, here's my checkbook. Just you know, write the number that you want. Here's all my money, right? Because I see the value of what this is. How much more if we see the value of what God has done for us and if we are motivated by grace, giving, giving will never be an issue for us. If we read that passage and others like it and then see what our attitude is in giving to our brethren in need or the work of the local church, it's simple, isn't it? If our heart is in the right place. Why do we give? Because of God's grace. For what do we give? At least thinking about collectively. Well, we know that there is a distinction drawn in the New Testament between what the individual Christian can do versus the collective church activity. And he makes clear that this is a collection for the saints in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we see that this kind of distinction between what I give to as an individual and what the church can and does give toward is something that is clear throughout the scriptures. Let me give you a couple of examples. Turn to Acts chapter 5, if you would, for just a moment. Acts chapter 5. I've heard some make the argument saying, well, money is money. And if it's money, then it can be used for good causes and yet, Acts chapter 5 tells us that that's not really the case. There's my money that is my own, and then there's money that I've given already to something else. 
In verse 1 of chapter 5, we remember that the Christians here in the early church in Jerusalem, they're selling homes and lands and so forth and bringing it and laying it at the apostles' feet for those who are in need who don't have a, a, a permanent place to stay in Jerusalem. And in verse 1, a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now we learn later in verse 8 that they were apparently claiming that they were giving all of the money when they were only given part of it. Well, think about that. Would it have been okay for them to sell a possession that they have and only give some of the money uh, to help needy saints? I think absolutely that would have been just fine. The issue was that they lied about it because they wanted more credit. Verse 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now notice verse 4, While it remained, was it not your own? You didn't have to sell it. It was your possession. It was, it was your property. You could do with it what you want. And after it was sold, and you get money for it, was it not in your own control? You have the right to do with that money with what you will. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So we see this concept that this money was under their control. It was their own, and yet when they give it, then there's a distinction between that money that was theirs and the money that was given to the Lord. We see an even clearer example of this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you want to turn over there, 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is another passage that deals with taking care of brethren who are in need. And specifically, there are widows in this local congregation who are being taken care of uh, out of the treasury, out of the money of the, the local church. And yet there are some requirements for those who are being taken care of. And one of the requirements is that they don't have believing family who can take care of them. As he summarizes this, he says in verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows or widows indeed. That is, those who are totally destitute, and they don't have anybody who can take care of them. Now that's interesting. If, it's, if money is just money, this, this passage doesn't make any sense. Because look at that closely. Look at that very closely as to what he says here. It's not just that the individual is responsible for his own mother, in this case, but it's that the church is required not to act in such cases. The church and the individual are given two very different commands, opposite commands, in the same passage. Think about it. If the individual doesn't do this, if he doesn't take care of his own, then he's in the wrong. But if the church does, uh, if the church doesn't do it, if they say, no, we're going to leave this up to those who have widows, then they're in the right. Just the opposite is true as well. If the individual does it, then he's right. He should be doing, doing it. But if the church does it, if they step in over those who are believing men and women with their own widows, then they're in the wrong to do this. And the reason for that is the individual has responsibilities and the local church has responsibilities. And there is some overlap between those, 
But what the individual can and should do with his or her money is much more broad than what the work and responsibility of the local church is. What we see in the New Testament, we talked about patterns this morning. We see the local church providing for the preaching of the gospel and the helping of needy saints in the New Testament. And specifically, when we think about helping needy saints, every time we see people being helped from the local contribution, if you want to call it the collection for the saints or the treasury in the New Testament, we see that it is for saints only, only those who are Christians. And yet, many people, many churches claiming to belong to Christ say, well, these other people who aren't Christians, they need help. We have this money, so why don't we just use this money from the collection to help them? Well, if we're following the New Testament pattern, then we shouldn't. What is revealed to us says, you as an individual, I as an individual, have a responsibility to help that person who is not a Christian. As Mark said Uh, Before the Lord's Supper, and I thought that tied in extremely well to what we're talking about this morning, in regard to our charity, we all have the responsibility as Christians to practice charity, both for Christians and non-Christians. But it is not the role or duty or work of the local church to help non-Christians out of its treasury. Um, This is the pattern that we see from God. And so those are the things for which we are giving collectively. How do we give? All right, I'm motivated to give. I want to give. How do I give? Go back to 2 Corinthians. Um, Let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now we read verses 1 through 5. I'll just remind you of what verse 2 says and verse 5 says, and then we'll, we'll pick up reading in verse 6. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Verse 5. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, When I was growing up, we listened to these songs um, in the car, And uh, this was one of the songs that that we learned. Uh, Let every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I didn't know what any of that meant uh, when I was a kid. Uh, But as I've grown, I've seen the power of this very verse. I purpose in my heart, and I'm going to give cheerfully from my heart. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he, God, has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness 
while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Did you see all of the words that he uses in these verses to describe how we give, our attitude by which we give? He says that we give willfully, that we give zealously, generously, bountifully, purposefully, cheerfully, liberally, and with great thanksgiving to God when we give. And so when we give, this is the way that we should. I know of some places... um, I have an uncle, in fact, uh, who, uh, who was asked when visiting with a, with a church, uh, he was asked to sign a document pledging what he was going to give for the year. Uh, apparently that's something that goes on some places. Not so here. It is as each purposes in his heart. It is something that is willful. It is something that you decide on how much you're going to give. Um, have you ever... Those of you who are parents or grandparents, aunts or uncles, babysitters, whatever the case might be, have you had your kids fight before and you break them up and then you make them say sorry to one another? Uh, Have you ever done that before? You need to say sorry to them. And how do they do that? Sorry, right? And then maybe even you take it a step further and you say, okay, now hug. And then that other person is like radioactive. Oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. That's grudgingly, right? It's of necessity. You do this or else something else is going to happen to you that's going to be way worse than hugging your sibling. But that's not the way we're supposed to give to God. It's not something that he is making us do. It's something that we should want to do. God wants cheerful and willing givers. Which brings us to the the last question um, that we'll answer. And maybe this is where the rubber hits the road. Okay, preacher, you've danced all around it. The question I really need to know is how much, how much do we give? Well, we've already given ourselves, right, to God and to our brethren. That was the first thing. Where is the passage that tells us the amount, how much, the percentage? It isn't there, not in the New Testament. But some have tried to put it there, and in so doing, they've really hurt uh, those of who are trying to do the right thing. I got an email a, a, a number of years ago, and this was from a, a friend from high school, actually, and, and they go to a, a denominational church um, up north of Tyler, um, and uh, her husband was one who had been just anti-Jesus in lots of ways, and, and he finally started coming with her to the, the church where they were going, and, and uh, he was getting more interested in some things, and then he got cornered uh, one morning by some people from that church, um, and this is the email that she sent to me knowing, you know, we were friends and that I was a preacher. And so she wanted an outside perspective on things. Uh, and I won't read the whole email, but I'll, I'll summarize. I'll read just a, a, a portion of it. My husband was just baptized last year after starting church with me and things were going great. And he was enjoying learning so much. And she goes on about that. And then the tithing was brought to his attention. And she describes the way that it was brought to his attention. He felt that church shouldn't have to be paid for. That's a pretty good instinct, isn't it? And yet he felt guilty not paying, and so he just quit going. Well, what about tithing, that 10%? We know, of course, that there are lots of passages in the Old Testament. The Jews were to set aside a tenth of all they had to the Lord or to tithe, 
And this money was used in a very similar way to what we see in the New Testament. The money was used to monetarily support the Levites and those who served as priests uh, in the temple. Numbers chapter 18 tells us about that. And to help those in need who couldn't provide for themselves, like widows and strangers among Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 14. This was a commandment that was given specifically to the people of Israel. And Numbers 27 and verse 34 is very clear about that. The Jews, under the law of Moses, were the only ones who were supposed to do this. And it is not something for us to do today. Christians in the New Testament are never commanded to tithe. And so we find ourselves right back asking the same question. How much do we give? I would suggest that 1 Corinthians um, chapter 16 and verse 2 that we read this morning, bringing this full circle perhaps, gets closer. When it says, let each one give as he may prosper or as he hath prospered. Or uh, the Net Bible says, to the extent that God has blessed you. In other words, our giving should be a a reflection of our financial prosperity. If we have been given much by God, if we have much, then we should give much. If we have little, if we've been given little by God, we should be content with that. But that means that we give less. Christ is more concerned with our attitude than he is about some raw amount. Remember in Mark chapter 12, the widow's two mites that she puts in, and he says she is given more out of her poverty than these people who are making a grand show of all of the money that they're giving. God wants our hearts in what it is that we give. And the amount is really secondary or should be a reflection of our hearts. Our attitude should be as Christians... It's all God's anyway, right? But at the same time, God does not want us to burden or overextend ourselves by giving money we don't have for the ease of others. Uh, Turn back to 2 Corinthians one more time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, let's uh, read verses 12 through 15 together. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. Um, God does not want you to take out a credit card and run up a big bill of money you don't have to give uh, to his work. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack. Their abundance is need. And you have an abundance, and so you need to find a place to use that. And you're supplying that for one another, that there may be equality. As it is written, verse 15, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Um, And so that's God's pattern. And tithing, that 10%, that's not wrong to do, but it's not required. We might give 5%, we might give 20% of our income, of what we have, and be just as pleasing to God. If we each give as we have decided in our heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, My advice is... Talk about this. Talk about it with your family, with your spouse, 
looking at these or other passages of Scripture. And then after you talk about it, make a plan about what you can give to the work of the church, what you uh, plan to give personally to non-Christians and good works outside of the local church, and begin your personal budget there. We're not giving God the leftovers. We're giving Him at the beginning. This, this is what it is we plan to give. And, and practically... Um, I think we can make some comparisons to say, what, what, I, what am I really capable of giving? I remember right after we moved here, um, Steve Bergman preached a sermon filling in for, uh, for one of us, either Harold or I, and, and he did a good uh, lesson on giving. And uh, I remember he passionately made the point, if, if what you give in a month to the Lord is less than your cable bill, then there's an issue there. And some of the young, younger people are looking around saying, What's a cable bill, right? Well, if all of the money that you spend on streaming services or gaming services is more than what you give to the Lord, then maybe there's an issue there. Maybe we look at our entertainment budget as a whole. Maybe we look at the things that we splurge on, right? Um, Golf for me, maybe it's something else for you. Hunting, fishing, coffee, whatever it is. We need to compare those things and say, am I really giving what I ought to the Lord? Make this the first line of your budget and then go from there. And then stick to the plan as best you can. But if things are really, really tight one week or month or year, give a little less. Likewise, if you're really blessed one week or month or year, give more. Make it based on how you have been prospered. But please remember that giving to the church specifically or financial giving in general um, is not intended to be our only giving. We are to give by the way we help others too. Galatians 6 and verse 10, Therefore as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That means our time, our effort, our talent, our hospitality, our energy, our prayers, and yes, our monetary funds as well. Two lessons This isn't really everything that we could say about giving. But I hope it's given us a good overview of what this giving as Christians, especially as it relates to the local church, should look like. When it comes to giving to the work of the local church, we should view it as something that's beneficial to both ourselves and the cause of Christ. We're commanded to give, of course, but that shouldn't be our grudging motivation. I have to give. Instead, we need to try and look at it as the privilege and blessing that it is. As Paul, quoting Christ, said in the book of Acts, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And by giving, we remind ourselves what's really important in this life. That we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And we're proclaiming our faith in God that He can and will provide for our needs if we go to Him with those things. And ultimately, we are promised that God will bless those who give as they should. He will bless us in this life, and He will bless us in the life to come. Let's read together from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's read together verses 8 through 15. And God, this is a summation of what we've said, right? And God is able to make all of grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That's, that's my life. 
man. Like, I, maybe that doesn't describe everybody in here, but that describes me. I have always had what was sufficient in all things, and not just what was sufficient. I've had an abundance, and I know that that is from God that I receive those blessings because God causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. Well, I need to use that abundance for every good work as it is written. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. God is the one who receives this credit for the things you're doing while... Through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen? And if that's where we are, giving is easy. Again, I want to thank you for your presence tonight, um, and if you're visiting with us, I, I, hope, I hope our reputation is that we are people who are willing to give, that we give our love, we give our support, we give our time, and yes, we give our money, not just to the local church, but that we give those things to those that we come in contact with, because we're striving to emulate and imitate our Savior, who gave himself who gave himself so that we might have the opportunity to be made rich in this life, well, really in the life to come, that we might go and be with him eternally. And if we can help you to accept that gift of grace even this evening, come now, while together we stand and while we sing.